have a word this morning that I believe is going to minister to you and encourage you and strengthen you today, and that's my prayer. Psalms chapter 30, verse 5. Here's what the word says. The psalmist uses two metaphors here. Neither one really are uh, correlative to the other. But he says, first of all, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Then he says, Weeping may endure or may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. I want you to understand something today. His anger has nothing to do with your weeping. But just as his anger is for a moment and his love endures for a lifetime, weeping may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. If you will, lift your hands toward heaven. Pray with me and for me one more time. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. God, we just uh, pray that you would strengthen and encourage somebody today, Lord. I ask you to remove every hindrance that would come against this service. God, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint your words. God, that they wouldn't be my words, they would be your words. And that, Father, Lord, you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you would say to us today. And, God, I ask that you would let folks leave this place today Lord this house encouraged let them turn off their computers or their devices or their TVs after a while encouraged God knowing that the weeping may last through the night but joy will come in the morning we give you the glory the honor and the praise in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen praise the Lord you may be seated David experienced many ups and downs in his life, many triumphs and sorrows as anyone in life. As a shepherd, you know him as a shepherd, as a giant slayer, as a warrior, as a fugitive at times, as an exile, as a father, as a folk hero in his time, and as a king. He had seen it all. And he was certainly no stranger to the unexpected and unpredictable nature of life. Many times you and I are affected by the unexpected and unpredictable nature of life. But in everything, David, who is referred to in the Bible in Acts 13 and 22 as a man after God's own heart. David kept his eyes on the Lord. And when times were tough, the Word tells us that he cried out to God in desperation. And when God was faithful, David lifted his voice in praise to God. Now I want to tell you something this morning. Is there anybody in this house that would lift your voice in praise and say that you have found God to be faithful? Anybody in the house this morning? Has God been faithful and good to you? Why don't you give him some praise this morning? David lifted his voice, the Bible said, in praise. And today, as believers, you and I can be encouraged by the life and the transparency of David. I love the transparency of David, who his life and his transparency proved to be so much more than just a warrior and a king. In the joyous times of his life, but also 
in his lowest hopeless moments and from every season in between, David poured his emotions into poetry and into music. And we know these songs uh, as the Psalms. That's what we call them today. They were poetry and music that David poured himself into. That's why when I was studying this week, I just couldn't help myself but to go to the keyboard at my house and I sat down uh, on a Thursday night when I was there by myself and I just began to play and to sing some of those old songs, the one that Nanny just sang and the one that I sang at the 845 service. I don't know about you, but I like music sometimes that just gets down on the inside of me. How many knows what I'm talking about? That will stir you and strengthen you and encourage you and remind you of the Word of God. That's what David did in, in the tough times, in the high seasons, and the low seasons of his life. He wrote poetry and songs that we know as the Psalms. And in our main text today, in Psalms chapter 30 and verse 5, this text in particular also, believe it or not, offers insight into the promise of Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to tie that in just a little bit later. But also it offers renewal to us that after our darkest nights, we can see the joy and the light that will come in the morning. So this morning I want us to begin looking at this by... First of all, examining the context of joy comes in the morning. What does that mean in this passage of Scripture? You see, for years, David had been on the run from King Saul. He was a fugitive. That's what made him a fugitive. He was running from Saul. He had faced tremendous affliction and persecution. And it was in this season that David wrote some of the most honest and the most emotional Psalms. Now let me say right there that a lot of times in Pentecost we get uh, criticized for being too emotional, right? Well, I will also say that uh, I believe some people are too emotionless. Will anybody agree? I prefer to worship a God that I can feel. I, I want to feel His presence. Now somebody says, oh, you know that God's there, but you, you don't see Him, you can't feel Him. Oh, trust me, you can feel Him. If you've never felt Him, you need to feel His presence. David wrote some emotional, that we might be emotional, you know, uh, from time to time. I believe that's okay, that we allow our emotions to come forth in our worship to our God. If you love your spouse, those emotions are going to come forth when you tell your spouse you love them, right? Well, when you, if you love the Lord and when you worship God, it's okay to let your emotions loose and let Him know, express to Him how much you love Him. Somebody says, oh, there's no point in all that emotion. There's no need to be emotional. Well, I'm reminded, some of you, many of you probably don't even know who this is, but the Wooten sisters, and we may, they're still living, uh, through two of them, I believe. We may have to get them back some, sometime to sing. I don't know if they've ever been to this church, but I've had them other places where I've been on staff, and they're they're just an old, old Pentecostal group that when they sing, it was three sisters and a brother, now it's two sisters and a brother, but when they sing, I'm kidding, I'm not kidding you, you can feel the hair stand up on the back of your neck sometimes. That's how anointed that they are. Well, Hamp Wooten is their brother who plays the guitar and sings with them, and he also preaches, and he said something one time that I'll never forget about Pentecostals being accused or criticized of being too emotional. He said, everybody's emotional. You may not show your emotion in church or you may not show it 
uh, in some settings, in some places. But if you don't think you're emotional, meet me outside next to my truck after service and let me slam your hand in my truck door and see what kind of emotions you exhibit, right? Everybody's emotional. It's okay to let to express your emotions when you worship the Lord. Say amen, somebody. David did exactly that. He expressed some of his most honest and emotional times in the Psalms. Now, I didn't, I'm going to give you a lot of word today, but these scriptures in particular are not going to be on the screen. I'm going to go through them quickly. But in Psalms chapter 51, we find that David wrote, Have mercy on me, O God. There's some honesty and some emotional uh, emotions there. Psalm 54, he says, come with great power, O God, and rescue me. That's what I sung in the first service. Jesus rescues me. Psalms chapter 56, David said, O God, have mercy on me. My foes attack me all the day long. Has anybody ever felt like you've been attacked all day long? In Psalms 57, David said again, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy. It did me good to see how much mercy David prayed for in his life. In Psalm 59, David said again, Rescue me from my enemies, O God. There's some desperation. There's some emotion. There's some honesty there. And in Psalms 142, David said, I cry out to the Lord and I plead for the Lord's mercy. Listen, even though God had delivered David from the hands of his enemies, including Saul, on numerous occasions after ascending up to the throne, David grew complacent and spiritually lax. The Bible said in one Uh, In one version, in one translation, it said that he was fancying himself secure. If we go on down in our main text, the very next verse in this passage of Scripture, Psalm 30 and verse 6, New Living Translation, David said it like this, When I was prosperous, I said, nothing can stop me now. Don't we all do that sometimes? When everything is going well, we tend to pray less. When everything is going well, we tend to read less. I mean, everything's good. We don't need God to do anything for us, right? So we just don't talk to Him. We don't commune with Him. And sometimes, I truly believe that God allows life to come along and knock the wind out of ourselves, out of ourselves to humble us and to put us back on our knees. God allows life to happen sometimes. That does not mean that God has plotted a personal attack against you. That means simply that God has allowed life to happen. And sometimes it knocks the wind out of ourselves and it humbles us and it puts us on our knees. I I read a lot of commentary on these scriptures in the Psalms and, and one of the best things that I read from called the treasury of David who was a who was written uh, as a commentary on the Psalms by the famous Charles Spurgeon you've all heard of Charles Spurgeon here's what he said he said when God's children prosper one way they are generally tried another for few of us can bear unmingled prosperity so as David grew self-assured in himself and as he grew satisfied in a season of prosperity Uh, He grew lax. He stopped praying. He stopped 
reading. He probably got a little lax on his church attendance because everything was going good. So, you know, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored, and uh, I don't need God to do anything for me, and I don't owe anything to God. That's the way some people treat their lives. Let's just tell the truth about it. So in this time that David grew lax, and he was self-assured, and he was satisfied during this season of prosperity in his life, God intervened. And when God intervened, God was challenging him to return his eyes to the Lord. And unlike many, David understood that his struggle was not God trying to tear him down. Rather, God was humbling his servant and allowing him to be tested as a means of growing and strengthening him. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you need to stop thinking that everything that comes against you in this life is a personal attack. Sometimes God allows life to happen. Consider his servant Job. Job hadn't done anything wrong but the Bible said that God allowed the enemy to tempt and test Job. But Job stood firm on his faith. Job stood firm in his God and we saw that God gave back everything the enemy stole from Job during his down season, during his night season and when joy came in the morning the word says that Job had more then than he lost before. What are you saying? I'm saying God is faithful. God is good. Nothing you're facing is taking God by surprise. God might have allowed it for such a time as this. So do what the psalmist said to do. Take your eyes off of the circumstance. Take your eyes off of the situation and lift your eyes up to the hills from whence cometh your help your help cometh from the Lord say amen somebody God was humbling his servant and allowing him to be tested as a means of growing and strengthening him and this of course aligns with the theology of James who wrote in the book of James chapter 1 verses 2 and 4 to consider it pure joy he said, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And in the midst of David's personal struggle, when things seemed darkest and most uncertain, David wrote in verse 5 again, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. As someone who had experienced a lifetime of heartache, we can't imagine. David had lost his son, just, just one of the heartaches that he had. A lifetime of heartache and godly favor. David had failed the Lord many times, brought him on, his own self some heartache. But David wrote from experience knowing that any pain, any anxiety, and any struggle that we would face in this life was only temporary. Say temporary. In his darkest and his most desperate hours, David called out to the Lord, and here's the good part, and God answered David every single time. God answered him. You see, church, no night 
last forever. The sun will always rise. And with the dawn comes the blessing and the favor of the Father. Who is always hard at work to bless, to strengthen, and to deliver His children. Did you hear me? Your God is always hard at work to bless, to strengthen, and deliver His children. David had seen this happen time and time again. See, sometimes life may not be perfect. It may not be comfortable. It may not be free of pain and struggle. Not even for the most faithful servant of God. I thought about that this week as one of the Church of God patriarchs whom I love dearly, Pastor Philip Payne. Pastor of the Lexington Road Church of God for many years made it what it is today. It's a great church. In Richmond, Kentucky. And we sang for him several times when we were traveling singing. And uh, Pastor Payne has always been uh, just uh, a role model and an example. And his, his daughter and son-in-law, his son-in-law now pastors the church. Wonderful people, great friends of, of mine and Angie's. But even today, Pastor Philip Payne is struggling to breathe. Praying for heaven. Struggling with lung cancer. Sometimes it is so hard to understand in this life why good people have to suffer bad things. Is it not? If we tell the truth, it is. But uh, when life may not be perfect, it may not be comfortable, it may not be free from pain and struggle, not even for the most faithful servants of God, but listen, Right in the middle of our pain. Right in the middle of our uncertainty. Right in the very middle of our fear. God is always working with us and working for us. Did you hear me? The Word says He'll never leave you or never forsake you. The Word also says, and we know that all things, say all. All things work together for good for the Lord. Listen, we may feel hopeless. We may feel discouraged. We may feel afflicted in the moment. We may feel unable to see the light. But as Jeremiah the prophet wrote in Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8. Look at what he said. He said, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope. And confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Watch this. Such trees are not bothered by the heat and they're not worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, Blessed 
are those who trust in the Lord. When circumstances don't look good, you'll be just like a tree that's planted by the riverbank with roots that run deep into that water, that run deep and grab hold of that spring of new life, that spring of strength, and you'll become a tree that's not bothered by the heat. You won't be worried by long months of drought because you got roots that are deep enough that go right through that soil, through that rocky time, through that trouble, that strife, that tribulation, and reaches out and grabs hold of the water. Your leaves can stay green, and you'll keep producing fruit because you trust and you hoped in the Lord. we got to focus on our source. So David would continue on down in verse 11 of Psalms 30. Watch what he said. He said, you've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. That's why sometimes you can come into this place burdened and heavy laden. Going through something that maybe nobody else even knows anything about. But you can come in here feeling beat down by the circumstances. Feeling like you're in a dark hole. And you're just down and depressed and oppressed and mourning and sorrowful. But then the praise team can begin to sing. And when you shift your focus from your circumstances and you put them on God. And you begin to sing those songs of Zion that talk about the Lord being your strength. They talk about the Lord being your helper. They talk about the Lord being your deliverer. They talk about the Lord being your protector. They talk about the Lord being your provider. Then all of a sudden, you start to forget about all that sorrowful stuff. And I don't know if you're like me, sometimes you begin to feel a bounce in your feet. Why? Because God's turning your morning into joyful dancing. When you shift your focus off of the problem and onto the problem solver, He'll take those robes of weariness and heaviness and he will exchange that for the for the garment of heaviness he'll give you a garment of praise he'll turn your mourning into dancing he'll turn your weeping into joy when your focus is fixed on him hallelujah I, I like to look at what a scripture how it's translated uh, in different Translation sometimes, how the wording is different for the same passage of Scripture. And I didn't give them these to put on the screen, but I want you to just listen. Our main text this morning, Psalm 30 and 5. The King James says, For his anger endureth but for a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. The New American Standard Bible said it this way. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. The NIV said it this way, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Boy, that's good. Weeping may stay for the night. Anybody ever had a guest that stayed longer than you want them to? Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And then the message translation, I love the message, but I always compare it to the King James. And here's the way it says it in the message. It says, all you saints, sing your hearts out to God. I like that. Thank Him to His face. Thank Him to His face. He gets angry every once in a while, but across a lifetime, there's only love. 
Isn't that the way we are with our children? Anybody get angry with your children every once in a while? But when you look back over the lifetime, all you really remember is the love that you have for them. That's the way God is with us. And I love what it says, this last line. It says, the nights of crying your eyes out will give way to the days of laughter. Joy comes in the morning. Now, I want to tie this quickly to the resurrection of Jesus Christ because I think it's important that we see this. See, in many ways, the writings of David in Psalm 30 mirror the emotions of Jesus' closest followers and friends following the crucifixion. Because you see, you have to understand that for Christ's disciples, the death of Jesus was more than just a tragedy. I mean, they had walked with Him. They had talked with Him. They had touched Him. Not the way we see God or worship God or feel God or experience God. They literally had Him tangibly in their presence and saw Him do so much. So His death, when He finally said it is finished and it was over, and He bowed His head on the cross and they saw Him die. It was much more than just a tragedy. It would have been a devastating blow to their confidence their faith, and their hope for the future. Because you see, their best friend, their leader, had just been murdered. So I'm sure they asked the question, will we be next? What kind of fear must have gripped their hearts in those moments that followed after they visibly saw him die? Because they had seen him perform miracles. They had saw it with their own eyes, so they had to entertain the questions that the enemy fights you and I with sometimes. They had to entertain questions like, I've seen him do the miraculous. Why did he not save himself? Was he really who he said he was? Was he really who I thought he was? Have, have we been following the wrong guy? What kind of doubt must have filled their minds in those moments in the upper room? I believe many times the enemy comes to us and he says, where's your God now? Right? Where's your God now? Oh, if your God is so good. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the only person in here this morning that the enemy has taunted like that before. If your God is so good, why is he allowing this to happen to you? If your God is so good, why is He allowing this to happen to somebody that you love? Where's your God now? That God you called the fast about. That God that you pray to. That God that you worship and people make fun of you for how you worship. Where is that God now? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. When he was faced with the false prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves. The Bible said there was 850 false prophets all together worshiping false gods. And then you had Elijah. 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets 
of the groves. And the Bible says that, that the, those false prophets did everything when Elijah made the challenge. And he said, all right, boys, we're going to build an altar. We'll dig a trench around the altar. We'll put some wood and we'll lay on top the wood of sacrifice. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And so then the Bible says, what did all of those false prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves do? The Bible says they begin to cry aloud from morning until noon. They cried aloud and they cut themselves and they were crying out for their God to move and answer by fire. Well, what does that cutting themselves, what is that significant for? I'll tell you what it's significant for. They were trying to force a God, a false God, to do something that only a true God was able to do. Well, I began to think about that this morning. It didn't even hit me in my study time. It came to me in the 845 service. I believe that in the church, we've allowed ourselves to get into a lot of Pentecostal shenanigans from time to time. Now, you know me. Uh, I, I am the, I'll shout and dance and worship with the best of them. I'll, I'll shout at the drop of a hat, and sometimes I'll drop my own hat. Hallelujah. I believe in the presence of God. I believe in worshiping. I believe in all of that but I also believe that sometimes in the church we do everything in ourselves by our agenda we cry aloud we cut ourselves we do everything to try to force a move of something that can only be done when we just stop and place our focus on the one true God cry out to the one true God the Bible says they did all of that garbage I'm telling you it's time for all of that stuff to come to a halt in the church and it's time that we learn how to pray and how to call on the God that can answer by fire. And the Bible said after they did that, that Elijah came out on the scene. I believe he looked at him and he said, are you done yet? Do you want to give in yet? He said, maybe your God has gone on a journey. The devil says that to us sometimes. Maybe your God's on vacation. Elijah said, or peradventure, maybe he sleepeth. Maybe he's sleeping and he ain't hearing you. And all that stuff you're doing is not waking him up. Elijah said, are you done yet? I believe they finally gave up. He said, all right. We didn't get anywhere, but you won't either. Mm. That's what the devil says to us all the time. You won't get anywhere either. Then the Bible said Elijah just stepped up near that altar. All he did was say, oh God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove to these people that you are the one true God. And the Bible said all of a sudden the fire fell from heaven. It consumed the sacrifice. It burned up the wood. Listen to this. They had poured 12 buckets of water onto that sacrifice trying to make it harder for the true God or any God to answer. The Bible said when he called on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not only did it consume the sacrifice, not only did it burn up the wood, but it also licked up the water. The Bible said that was in the trench. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm trying to say we need to get back to the basics. We don't need projection screens and all kinds of stuff to draw in the presence of God or the people of God. What we need is a hunger and a thirst for the true anointing, genuine anointing, delivering power of God and call on that God and watch Him deliver. Watch Him move. That's what they had to be. The disciples had to be struggling with. What would happen next? Where would they go? 
What did they have to look forward to now that Jesus was gone? Hopeless, afraid, confused, and alone. It was a truly dark night of the soul. And those were the emotions, as we talk about them again, that overwhelmed the disciples. Hopeless, afraid, confused, alone. They hadn't grasped the fullness of God's power. They also hadn't understood the scope of what He had came to accomplish on this earth. Can I tell you that even today, absent of an understanding of God's power and plan for your life, it's easy, easy to fall into the same kind of debilitating fear, doubt, anxiety, hopelessness, and despair. But when we understand who God really is, and when we remember what He's done for us, and we recognize that the crucifixion was always meant to be followed by the resurrection, when we recognize that the tragedy of the cross, like any struggle that you and I may face in this life, becomes a temporary night with a beautiful dawn that's already on the horizon. See, in moments like this, in your deepest, darkest struggles, remind yourself that weeping may last through the night, but joy will come in the morning. Well, a shout of joy did come on the morning of the third day with, uh, with the ultimate resurrection of Jesus Christ. That was an event that should forever turn our morning into dancing. Say amen, somebody. And from that moment on, the tragedy of the cross was nullified in the joy of the resurrection. Therefore, any pain, any struggle, any fear that you may face in this life is nullified in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I'm going to throw some word at you real quick. First Peter 1 and 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we've been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. If the only thing the devil ever has to, uh, to fight you with or, or taunt you with is heaven, watch this. He said, O death, where is your sting? O Hades or grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Watch this. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I want to share with you some other verses related to joy and hardship. Consider Jonah chapter 2 verses 6 through 7. Jonah said, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. Anybody ever felt low, lower than low? I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. I don't know what you may be going through this morning, but some of you might need to remember the Lord. Romans 12, 12 and 13. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. Don't quit praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always. 
always be eager to practice hospitality. Psalms chapter 3 verses 2 through 6. So many are saying... God will never rescue him. The enemy ever taunted you like that? But you say, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory and the one who holds my head high. David said, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me out of his holy mountain. I laid down and slept, yet I woke up in safety. For the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. One other translation, David said, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of demons who have encamped themselves against me round about. He said, because thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You are my glory and the lifter up of my head. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. Oh, hallelujah. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. Watch this. So after you have suffered a little while, say little while, little while he will restore, he will support, and he will strengthen you and will place you on a firm foundation. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God? He's still God. The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. In southeastern Kentucky lingo, that means he ain't tired. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives, watch this, power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the young shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I came to encourage somebody this morning. Just keep waiting on the Lord. You may be tired. You may be weary. You may be discouraged. You may be struggling and battling. But don't stop waiting on the Lord. God's given you a promise in this word. They that wait upon the Lord. Weeping might endure for the night. But if you're waiting on the Lord... Oh, you shall renew your strength. Joy will come in the morning. You'll mount up on wings like eagles. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. As they come to the music this afternoon, we can always find hope in the promises of God and in the power of His name. Knowing that right in the middle of our darkest nights, in our hours of fear, in our moments of greatest uncertainty, anxiety, and struggle. God is God. I said God is God. And God is in control. God has a plan. And that plan is ultimately good. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. For you. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Philippians 1 and 6. And I am certain that God, who began that good work within you,
will continue it until his work is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Romans 8, 28 and 29, I've already quoted it. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like the Son so that the Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And I want to close with this one. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 and verses 15 through 19. He said, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. I want to encourage some of you this morning. Stop listening to the other voices that are speaking to you and listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I bought you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator and King. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that, he says. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. I want to tell you something this morning, Freedom Point Church, or this afternoon. You might have seen God do some great things. But I prophesy to you this afternoon, it's nothing compared to what you're going to see him do. Did you hear me? I believe we're going to see, oh hallelujah, we're going to see God do some great and mighty things. Watch what he said. He said, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I am about to do something new. Hallelujah. See, I've already begun. Don't you see it? I'll make a pathway through your wilderness. I will create rivers in your dry wasteland. God is about to do something new. Hallelujah. Stand with me all over the house this morning. I want to share this before I open this altar. Some of you may have already read it this week, but in my devotion time early on Thursday morning I always get up early around 5 o'clock and it just seemed like the house was much darker inside and the world was much darker outside than it normally is and it just especially stood out to me that morning to the point I thought am I up before 5 o'clock and I looked at my phone and it was a few minutes after 5 and I was standing in the kitchen the coffee pot starts making coffee at 5 and I was just standing there waiting on it to be done and I just looked and I thought, hadn't turned any lights on, and I thought, I can't even see my hand in front of my face. So I waited on the coffee and I got a cup and I went in and sat down. Because everybody's day ought to start with coffee and Jesus. Amen. So I went in and I sat down. If you don't like coffee, it ought to start with Jesus. Amen. I, I sat down and I got my phone, pulled up the U version app, and it didn't, everybody knows it don't matter how dark the room is because your phone has got a light, it's backlit. And I just sat there in the darkness drinking coffee and reading the Word. After about 30 minutes or so of reading, I just happened to look up and I looked out the front window in the living room and I could see the orange-yellow glow of the sun that was rising over in the east 
And I looked around the house, and the house wasn't bright, but it wasn't dark anymore. And I could see my hand in front of my face. See, while my focus, even though it was on my phone and not the paper version, while my focus was on God's Word, my surroundings changed. Did you hear me? My mama always used to say that it always gets darkest just before the dawn. How true that is, because when I first got up, it was so dark. My point of all that is this. Sometimes, through no fault of your own, sometimes, yeah, we bring it on ourselves, but sometimes, through no fault of our own, this life gets dark. Sometimes our circumstances make it seem even darker than what it really is. And listen, as much as we want to, we cannot change our circumstances any more than we can force the sun to rise outside. But I can promise you this, when you shift your focus off the darkness and onto God's Word, when you take your focus off your circumstances, when you refuse to stare at the darkness. See, I think that's the problem with a lot of the church today. A lot of saints are sitting somewhere in a room staring into the darkness when they should be allowing the light of this Word to pierce through and penetrate that darkness. When you shift your focus from your circumstances and you allow the light of the Word to pierce through, I promise you, I promise you there will come a moment when you look around and you see, whoa, my surroundings have changed a little bit. Looks like the sun's rising. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because I'm telling you this morning, whatever you're going through, you remember this. It's always darkest before the dawn. But if you'll shift your focus onto God and His Word, I promise you, weeping will last through the night. But joy will come in the morning. God will bring you joy when you place your focus on Him. So if you'll bow your heads with me all over this room this morning, I, I want to ask you, you may be here and you may say, Pastor, i got a circumstance I need God to move in. I need to shift my focus onto Him. Would you just step out from where you are if you want to put on a mask? Please put on a mask and come up to this altar. We're going to pray with you. If you say, Pastor, I've got something I desperately need the Lord to move in. I need God to move for me in a situation. Uh, if you're comfortable, put on a mask and come right on up here. And, and let's pray and let's ask God to move in this situation. If you don't want to wear a mask, I'll be wearing one when you come and we pray. If you're here and you say, Pastor, uh, I need a prayer cloth this morning. I need God to move in some situations. I want to get special prayer. I need, I need God to move. If that's you, step out from where you are. Go ahead and come to this altar this morning. We're going to pray over those needs. And, and if you're here today and you may say, Pastor, I... I hear what you're saying, but I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. Well, good. You're in the right place at the right time. You couldn't be in a better place than to, than to be here this morning and to be able. You can fix whatever's wrong between you and God with a short, simple prayer. That's simply, God, forgive me. 
God, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you as my Savior, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to do that today as they sing. If you have a need, this altar's open. If you want to pray at your seat, pray there. But let this be your prayer this morning as they sing.